Welcome to Marsha's Plate. This is an interview episode where we talk to friends, family, other community members, and anybody else we want to talk to. <laughs> hey brother, hey brother, hey sister, hey sister, hey sibling, how are you? Hey brother, hey brother, hey sister, hey sister, hey sibling, how are you? How you been doing? Just checking in today. Hey, what's up, y'all? This is an amazing woman. I have been so excited to have her on the show. Um, so we do go way back, and <laughs> I'm just so proud of her. And so soon as I was able to get her here for y'all to hear and talk to her, I just uh, I jumped on the opportunity. We know her from Pose, American Horror Story, Claws, Framing Agnes, and many more amazing work. Even some of her earlier work was nominated for Emmys. <laughs> <laughs> yes. she, she debuted on Broadway in t- t- 2022 for as Roxy <laughs> in Chicago, which was a first. <laughs> mm-hmm. And she's just a woman of many talents. And we'll talk about some, uh, some other things that she does. But this is the amazing talented spiritual just just amazing angelica ross thank you so much diamond thank you for having me girl i am so excited for you to be here because of all the people that um you know have kind of blossomed during this kind of trans renaissance you are somebody that I have been watching for a very long time because, you know, we're the same age. I was going to say, you, there, was a, there was an emphasis on very. <laughs> because, yeah, we are girls of a certain age. We've been around for a minute. <laughs> exactly. So seeing you blossom like this, I'm somebody who, you know, I'm definitely somebody who can't say, oh, this this just just, just boomed. I've seen you doing the work and being out here doing your thing over and over and over again even when you know unlike now there was times when it was like there's no opportunities for trans people but we're just doing it because why not who cares if this is the charts who cares if what happens this is just i'm following my dream doing something that i love regardless of the outcome and so yes oh yes yeah no you know i really what I really appreciate now is looking back and, you know, seeing that regardless of, you know, how great or what opportunities were, like I was still going after the same things. I was still doing the same things. I remember um, there was like a trans event in Chicago and like they had this like little PA system there. Um, and, uh, I was going to be singing there and I was singing on this PA mic, you know, and, you know, it just, I just remember, and it was terrible. I mean, I was, <laughs> yeah, you know, I can, I can be honest and say, you know, like it wasn't great, but like, but I just look back and just because like, as an entertainer, trans or not, you know, you go through these moments where you have these live performances and you have, you know, uh, things may not work out right. Text the tech is not always right or whatever the case is, but I've been able to have this beautiful experience of my community still seeing me through all of that. And, and, you know, just 
watching me grow, you know, as an artist, because they know there isn't a lot of affirmation and support for us when we say we want to do something that the world doesn't even see room for us to do, you know, unless you're really uh, pulling off this cis heteronormative performance, like a, you know, Kim Petras, who's sickening, who's did just has now this, uh, you know, single with Nicki Minaj, but a lot, she's a pop success and a lot due to the fact of her vocals being pretty much unclockable, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. When it comes to the, the, the pop situation and obviously to her look, uh, yeah. being that unclockable, uh, sort of aesthetic, but, um, for those of us who are starting to embrace our lower registers and, and embrace all these different parts of our voice, even, you know, being able to look up to cis stars like Tony Braxton, you know what I'm saying? Lay the Hathaways and the folks who really have these really smoky tones on their voices. Now I'm able to come full circle and I'm back at this place of doing all the things and having all the support, you know, from, from my community that kind of knows that I'm not just here uh, to be about myself as somebody that's just looking to become a star at, at all costs. But they've seen me, or like you say, over the years, um, put in the work and do it yeah. with integrity and with with integrity, and not like step on other people and ha and do you know bogus stuff, shady stuff to other people to get where I'm going. Mm, that's a really, really important. I think that is something that I am currently watching i see other people doing i'm you know i'm in nonprofit and oh yes i'm seeing other people kind of moving really really weird and i'm yeah. like that's i as as a mature woman i am uh, i'm i'm looking i'm like you don't understand that you're operating from a place of scarcity and mm -hmm. when you burn those kind of bridges it, it just doesn't allow for you to have a free flowing um energy with your sisters with your people in in your community because if you have that kind of cutthroat way of navigating things that's baby, gonna be we're gonna see it baby 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 let me just tell you and you know i've been around in these nonprofit circles in the grassroots organizing circles for a really long time and there have been moments when we would be at conferences or whatever, and people will pull me into a room and I'd be in a room with like, I don't know how many trans leaders or whatever. And they're trying to ask me to talk to somebody that's being out of pocket, you know, in the community that's, you know, being a certain way or whatever. And I'm just like, I, at the first, at first, you know, now I see it in hindsight, but at first I'm like, why me? Like what, like, why y'all think this person go listen to me out of all the stuff after, you know, and community, everybody's, you know, we're community. So we go with the facts and the things and try to like come with one, then two people and try to like, you know, hold accountability and do all of that. But, um, it has been a interesting journey in community, uh, being me because I have to always, I've always held space for my privilege when I walk into a space. And I don't think that a lot of people in community are used to folks like myself, like uh, holding space for all the things. And so there was just a lot of times when, and I've seen people leave community spaces because 
of how people be moving and 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 sometimes how we turn on each other and many many times because of perceived privilege because it seems like this person got it one step better than the other person and there's there's these different things and 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 many of those times when I was in those circles and traveling to all those places then People didn't know I was broke. I didn't have anything, you know, but I was making it like we do as trans people. We make the most out of what we have and we make it look like we got something going on. That's what ballroom and all those spaces have taught us, you know, but it has been a heartbreaking experience for me over a decade of being in community and having to go through stages of my community not trusting me because of, again, whether it's perceived privilege or because when other people have gotten into certain positions, they have done, done certain things a certain way. So how can we expect you to move any differently sort of situation? So, but what I've learned, and I love this phrase that I've learned over time about not just having your heart break, but having my heart break open mm-hmm. and be able to be broken open to a way and understand the pain that's in my community, the the sort of um, and not always look of a place of judgment of why people are behaving the ways that they are. Sometimes people are doing the best that they can with the tools that they were given. Doesn't excuse bad leadership. It doesn't excuse certain things, but I at least try to carry compassion for others uh, in those spaces. But I've had to sort of wait it out so that over now, over 10 years, people can see, no, she is who she says she is. Um, you know, and, and that I don't take things personally when I do get a lot of personal attacks or different things, whatever, sometimes I do, but like for the most part, I try to stay out of that space because I understand in that in community, things can be kind of messy, but sometimes we have to, you know, there, I just don't know. Sometimes I've been unwilling and maybe this is a good thing, bad thing. I don't know, but some days I've been unwilling to be that person to, uh, hold certain folks accountable because nobody, it seems like nobody wins, you know, when like, especially when like compute community leaders are, are fighting and, and against one another. But then there has to be this other space where folks who know, cause there's just been so much time and space where so many of us know about problematic stuff happening behind the scenes or in community and what have you. And we're not doing anything about it. Um, and I know this, we don't, I don't even think that sometimes we know what to do because again, we have l- limited organizations, limited resources. So it's kind of like, what do we do and how do we do it without looking like a trans person shitting on another trans person? I try to give people grace over and over again. If I get to the point where I'm calling somebody out and it's a public calling out, cause I usually try to, um, right. you know, slide in your DMs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Slide in your DMs, call you if I got your number in, but I, even recently, um, and I'll talk about it uh, later, another time on the show, but even recently I've had a situation where I had to, you know, I was super, super gracious. And then, you know, I felt like these bitches was trying it. So right. no, like, no, like, no, I'm, I've been gracious over and over and over and over. And I can prove that I've been gracious. And now right. you have got me across the line. So now I'm cussing your ass out right. and, and calling you out for your fake ass bullshit. And this is right. not cool. And it may look like to somebody that, oh, this is trans people arguing, but sometimes we need to do that. So sometimes we need to argue. Sometimes I need to let you know, 
and and I need to take the gloves off and I need to um be real with you because you're trying to put on, you know, one thing that, oh, I hate this shit. One thing I hate is when you're trying to be gracious to somebody and they get to speaking to you in that um mm-hmm. that um, movement language. Yeah. Oh, I, we need to have rigorous transparency <laughs> about how we are. The, the, the bitch, you don't talk like that. You a, hood <laughs> bitch from, you a hood bitch from Atlanta. How the fuck you get to talking to, now you give me a, get the fuck out of here. You don't right. talk like that. And so, and so I have to be, I have to take the gloves off and take the mask off and say, look, I, I've been this gracious lady for yes. you. And now you, that didn't work. So now I have to well, be let me tell you, early, something else. Early, early on in my trans tech days, uh, when I had, uh, when I first was doing trans tech, I was trying to mm-hmm. stand on our own and have our own board and things like that or whatever before we were fiscally sponsored. and. I just remember that a certain thing, there were a couple events that happened where folks had me fucked up. Uh. And I am a gracious person. Like I take so much time with so many people and do so much. But when you got me at the point where I'm publicly cussing you out, and even that I'm cussing, like me, I try to use all kind of, you know, ways and words and whatever. You got me at a place where I'm cussing you out publicly. Mm. It's because you got me fucked up and I have to. Like, I'm at the point where I actually have to do this. Right. Because I don't need nobody else coming behind you thinking that this is okay. And so, like... I remember one time there was a white trans woman that was a reporter and she was uh, in a hospital. And so uh, she, but apparently she was on like morphine or something. There was like a morphine <laughs> or something that they had put her on. And so she had her phone and was responding to stuff that wasn't even about her that off to my tweet and like really just uh taking things that I'm saying about calling out white uh, supremacy, anti-blackness, this, that, and the third. And she's taking it personal, like I've done this and I've this whole thing. <laughs> and and then is going on like a, a whole situation where she's contacting now people that I know, like uh, the chairperson of the city of like, it, it, like the, I'm talking about like city officials and things that I have relationships with and whatever, and saying that I was goading her into suicide. And it was like literally not nothing close. To, like you could read the threads, all the kind of stuff. People were even jumping into the te- into the tweet thread saying, girl, this ain't nowhere near what she's saying and blah, blah, blah. But it was one of those things where I had to, I'm not, I'm not though. I just have to show people, look, I do my thing. I do my thing. With trans tech, I specifically created this organization because I was doing sex work and I was on this website that was known for having the girls on the website. It was just like trafficking the girls there. That's where they knew they Mm -hmm. could get a coin and maybe hopefully get some money to stack towards their surgeries or whatnot. Mm And so when I started working, I was going to pose for the website, but then the lady saw that I had tech skills and asked me to start helping to run the website. 
I didn't really know how to. So I went to video tutorials and I learned HTML, CSS. I learned how to crop photos. I learned how to do a whole bunch of things. And so from that, I realized that no one really needs to know what I look like or sounded like or whatever. I could just do the tech work and clock in. So that is what I ended up doing for myself for years was doing graphic design for Cedric the Entertainer, Ludacris. They never knew I was designing their backstage passes, but I was doing that. And so when I brought that thing to the nonprofit sector, the company I worked for said that it was over the heads of the girls we were serving. They weren't going to get tech. That was not something they were going to understand. What? So that, yes, girl. And I, I was just like, I was so offended. Yeah, you only, I, girl, let me tell you, I was up in that building. You could, you, you know, they was calling me one uppity N word because I'm telling mm -hmm. you, I was an uppity one. I, I was an uppity one. How dare I? think that we should have computer access and do, you know, uh, I, who would have thought? thought? <laughs> I'm trying to tell them, even if you wait in tables, you tapping on a computer. So like, we need to get the folks ready. And they were like, they were not hearing it. So that's when I created this organization. I said, you know what? Let me go back to what I was doing and try to find a way to bring this to the girls as far as tech. Like this is what was working for me. So let me try to bring this to the folks is like learn some kind of tech. So that's where the whole idea from trans tech came from. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, it's, a, it's, it's been a journey because when I first started it, I thought that the floodgates of support would be there. You mm. know, I thought, oh shit, a black trans woman doing this, like, People going to be at my door. And it did not end up being that. And it ended up being a lot of, in the beginning, a lot of jealousy uh, like in, in the community and, and a lot of things where I didn't actually even have anything to be jealous of. Like I actually didn't, we didn't have any funding. We didn't have certain things. It was just like, was this, but it was because of me as a black trans woman. And I wasn't even really famous at that time, but like my personal whatever was starting to bring attention to trans tech mm -hmm. but it was like it was not about me i didn't ha i wasn't getting paid like it was like literally none of those things mm -hmm. and so i had people calling me up like almost like how dare you do something like this and not even call me or not even include me or not even whatever and i'm just like it was just so much going on so many egos mm -hmm. so many different things and I'm like, look, I'm just one person doing one solution because I was a girl on a website and I'm trying not to be that girl on the website. I'm trying to be the girl running the website. Uh, come on. So that, so that's where this came from. I'm not stealing anything from anybody. I'm not trying to take up room from anybody else. And so for me, it was a, a heartbreaking in the beginning to experience a lack of collaboration, mm. um, a, a lack of trust, um, a lack of so many things, but I'll be damned if I didn't understand, you know, I, mm -hmm. when I saw what some other people were doing with their organizations and being not trustworthy, um, being fraudulent. Um, do you find that uh, I, I see, I, I'm so disappointed in musical artists. It feels like, do you find that same thing in your music? Because I, I, I don't see enough trans on trans collaboration. It feels like everybody is trying to be a Beyonce and nobody is working with other people. It feels, 
I see certain little things, but it, I, I was well, telling. I'll, let me explain that. So yeah. I think I think that's a very uh, you know one person who has really brought clarity to that space for me is Issa Ray. I always offer myself because I want people to get things, and so a lot of times what I do is I offer my own fumbles so that people sort of understand it ain't above me or any of us. And it's kind of a human thing. Um, let's take, for instance, one thing. I just want to digress for a second. But the Trans 100 was something that we used to have as an event in the community that would acknowledge 100 trans people that were doing groundbreaking things in various industries. Yeah. I, was ar- I was around from day one of that inception. Um, and when that first list came out, a lot of people were upset. And there was a lot of people like, how dare they have a list of 100 people and I'm not on the list. You know, egos. I've, egos. I've done this. I've done that. Now, mind you, I, didn't, I wasn't one of them people acting that way. I can't say the thought didn't cross my mind at the time that it was like, you know, hey, like, I, well, OK, I'm not on this list or whatever. But what I realized at the time was that we don't know each other because when the list of 100 people came out, I realized I didn't even know half the people they did put on the list. I didn't know the work that those people were doing. So what I know is that not only do we not know the breadth of talent that's in our community, but we haven't we haven't been in good practice of good collaborative practices that are about working with the people around you um, and finding the people with the work ethic around you. Because one thing that Issa Ray said was, you know, when you're looking to collaborate, they'll be like looking up here like, oh, I, one day I want to collaborate with this person. I can't, one day I want to, I'm going to collaborate with Angela Bassett. Now, mind you, I think one day that's going to happen. Affirming. I'm affirming that. I see that happen. But Instead of being like, I want to do this musical play and web series, movie, and I want to have Angela Bassett play my mom, and I want to do this and I want to do that, we have to start looking to the left and to the right of us and not just picking up any old body. Because I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of people in the trans community that's just talking shit about what they want to do. And then there's other people who are grabbing whatever they have access to and starting somewhere. Those are the people that you want to start to work with. And then you, you, it's levels to it. So my thing is, it's like, it is levels to it. And sometimes it can be a little like bit of an ego check for us sometimes about, uh, are we ready to be collaborating with the people that we want to collaborate with? Like, so, and if you're not like work on it, work on the things of working with other artists and people around you. But then there's a a, a certain places where say, for instance, like, I'm gonna tell you right now, like, I mean, I'm, 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 I am in the process of collaborating with certain folks. Like one, one person that, um, I'm collaborating with is a rapper named Monday. Um, he spells it M-O-N-D-A-I-I. And this brother is cold like smoking cold like he reminds me of magoo rapping back in the day like mm. that, like with his boy i mean and just very prophetic with his like spit it's very very good um so he's rapping on a couple of songs that i'm doing 
Um, I'm also collaborating with Terrell Carter, who some of you know as uh, he was recently on Empire. He played uh, Felicia Rashad's son, uh, who was uh, basically um, scamming Jesse Smollett um, as <laughs> his, <laughs> being his uh, husband or boyfriend. He was like the really built dude. But he's also known for being the sexy guy in Tyler Perry's plays of like singing all the smooth runs and all that. So we yeah. have a song coming out called Higher Ground and he's openly, you know, gay and queer. Uh, but the thing is, is like, I think about people like him and I was so grateful when we were collaborating together. Cause I'm like, yo, like your voice is insane. I'm not even, I'm not even there, you know? And, and it's like, but I'm a great songwriter and I am good at what I'm good at, which is maybe not all the runs and whatever, but it's at uh, delivering a clean tone. And so we have this song, Higher Ground, where our voices come together, kind of like Diana Ross and Luther Vandross, you know, where Diana's bringing that very simple, clean, beautiful tone, and he's bringing a lot of, you know, grit yeah. and grits and things like that. Um, and then there's, um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm collaborating, me personally, I'm collaborating a little bit of everyone. and. You know, sometimes that some of those songs take a little longer because whatever reason, and sometimes it goes like that. Mm -hmm. uh, I there's one person who I can't, I won't say it right now, the name right now too, because I'm not the one to jinx the situation. But it's one person that I've been in the me and her been in, in the DMs for a minute, and um, we've been kind of like we've met in person and we uh, have met in person several times and we now just have a, like a friendship online and she's one of the biggest pop stars of our time. Mm, like right. I still am gagging that she wants to collaborate and do a song together. And I was telling her the other day because we were talking, I was like, Oh, maybe we could do this or that. And she was, and I was like, She's like, well, you know, I have my process. And I was like, well, listen, I'm totally down with following your process. I'm just getting into this game, blah, blah, blah. I was like, I'm just waiting for somebody to wake me up and tell me to finish busting these tables. And she, she's like, she's like, listen, she was like, you are immensely talented. And she's like, how about we learn from each other? And to have that kind of affirmation from stars that have been in this for a minute and have mm -hmm. had real success. It's such an affirmation for me, but again, I, as you see, I'm I've moved different, and so I've always been the type of person to then turn around and try to work with the next person that's coming up behind me and, and find those opportunities. But I don't think everybody's like that, you know. I would love to work with, like, some people I got my eyes on is I want to do a collaboration with Saucy Santana. I want to do a collaboration with uh, Lil Nas X. Mm. Um, you know, I got a collaboration. I'm working on me and Todrick Hall are going to be working on something, you know. So it's just like I'm open to collaborating with whoever wants to collaborate. Um, and for me, what that means is I'm a musician. So sometimes I'm the producer and I produce the track like I do right. higher, higher Ground and a couple other songs. Sometimes I'm the songwriter and I, I write the lyrics or the top melodies. Sometimes I'm a vocalist and a featured artist and sometimes I'm the main artist and that can look like whatever they want it to look like. Right. You know, uh, so, and there's, and there's a couple, there's more queer artists in my DMs right now that I'm literally setting up time to start working with. So, mm, uh, there's, uh, I'm working with Ripley, uh, with me and Ripley are trying to like get, cause, uh, she's a, a songwriter and lyricist. So 
or they, I, I, I'm not sure what their pronouns are, so I'll say they, but like um, Ripley is someone I, I think is extremely talented and I'm, I'm trying to make the space now to create a session and start working with them. I love it. You're listening to Houston's own MP Trans 101. Now listen, I know that what is basic Trans 101 for me could just be the beginning for you. So this is for your basic ass. What's basic for me in this life could be just the beginning for you. So you know that we are in a totally different place when it comes to HIV than we were in the 80s, right? I'm just making sure, girl, because, honey, I'm seeing some stuff and I don't know. I just want you to know that we have come a very long way in the past 30 years when it comes to medication around HIV. Now, I know you, you keep up with your health and your status and you keep up with all this kind of stuff going on in the world when it comes to advancement. So I know you don't need to know this, but just in case you want to tell somebody else, let me give you the tea. Let's talk about undetectable, darling. Do you know what undetectable means? Let me explain it to you. When taken as prescribed, HIV medication of today can decrease the amount of HIV present in your blood or your viral load because we all know that HIV is a virus. So when you're on this medication, your viral load can get so low that it cannot be measured. And this is called being undetectable. So you can't detect it. Being undetectable prevents HIV disease from progressing and allows people to live longer and healthier lives. And it also protects the health of their sex partners. Now listen, this is the good part. People cannot pass HIV through sex when they have undetectable levels of HIV. Therefore, when you're undetectable, it is untransmittable. So let's go over it again. If you have HIV and you're on your medication consistently, your viral load goes down and it is undetectable and you cannot transmit it to other people. So undetectable means you can't give it to somebody. Got it? I, that's the that's the good part. That's the difference. That's the diff. That's the thirty years of research and activism and work and protesting and all the stuff that we remember and we have gone through. This is the result. So hi, my name is Diamond Styles and I am HIV negative. I can go and sleep with somebody who is positive, knowingly or unknowingly, and if that positive person is undetectable, they cannot pass it to me. So I want to be very clear that these medications are not a cure, they are a treatment for people who are positive. Now there are preventative treatments for people who are negative, and those treatments are PrEP and PEP. P-R-E-P and P-E-P. Diamond girl, what's the difference between PrEP and PEP? Girl, let me tell you. So PrEP helps prevent HIV infection prior to exposure 
and PEP helps treat patients who have been exposed to HIV. You see the difference? One helps you before you get exposed and one helps you after you get exposed. So let's explain this in scenario. So say that I know that I'm gonna be out here in these streets, baby, raw dogging and having sex and doing what I want because I like to have fun and my type of fun is a little risky, you know? So I'm gonna be out here in these streets, I'm gonna be going to the sex parties, I'm gonna be having fun and I'm just gonna be loose and, and just doing my thing. So I might put myself in a position where I might be exposed to stuff that I just don't wanna be exposed to. So, what I need to do is get on prep. Because though you may not have any more walls after you get done having the fun <laughs> that you plan to do, prep will actually build walls in your cells to prevent HIV from crossing into healthy cells and replicating itself. If HIV enters the body, it will be unable to breach the walls to gain access to your CD4 cells. So if the motherfucker can't replicate, it can't take over your body, get it? So that's prep. You take this medication so that if you know you're gonna be out here in these streets, you are protecting yourself. So now let's talk about PEP, P-E-P. -E All right, so let's go to another scenario. So say you've been dating this guy for a while and you finally get to the point where you wanna give him some of your sugar cabinets. You want him to feel your sweet love, digging your honey pot. And you grown, so you know about condoms, so you got the condoms ready. If he a little average dude, you got that. If he a big old dude, you got the magnums because you a grown ass person and you know how to do your thing because you got your sex education on. So you put it on him. But like all bad bitches, you got that snapper. So you know how to take them muscles and squeeze that thing. So you working that dick, boom, 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 boom. And you accidentally snatch the condom off of that meat. Cause that thing's so tight and good and you know how to work it. You, you just you, you get beside yourself and get to working a little too much and the condom comes off. And you realize that the condom is in you with all the cum in it. You know it done kind of poured out it's all creamy in your sugar cabinets, mixing with your fluids. And we know that exposure to HIV is about the, the exposure to the fluids. So, damn, you might be exposed to HIV, but that's when PEP comes in. Because if you go to the doctor and get PEP within 72 hours, you have an 80% chance to reduce the risk of transmission. 80% chance of stopping HIV in its tracks from transmitting. And you can follow up with your provider, go back and check, get tested, and then you're like, oh, I'm negative, cool. And you can go back and try again and not go so hard on the dick. <laughs> Now, in these scenarios, I'm talking about it from a perspective of where you are taking the dick in the vagina or the booty hole, but this applies to everybody. I'm just taking it from the bottom perspective because being a bottom, you're more at risk. You're getting the load shot in you, baby, especially anal, because, you know, the rectum lining is thin and, you know, it might bleed and it allow the HIV to enter the body easier 
And you drug users know what I'm talking about because I know how you girls like to booty bump and put the drugs in your booty and it gets you high because it gets directly into your bloodstream. I know you know. <laughs> so I say all of that to say we are in a different era of medication when it comes to HIV. So it is definitely not a death sentence. It is treatments out here that prevent it from being transmitted. It prevents you from catching it. We're in a whole different world. So don't be scared, know your status, know what you're exposed to, hurry up and go to the doctor if you get exposed unknowingly. Don't be like me for years scared to go get checked, see my status. Don't be a dumb bitch like me. Go check your status. If you know you're out here in these streets, get on prep. And if you know you've been exposed in the last 72 hours, go get you some pep. All right. This has been trans, even though this is not a trans issue. But, you know, I, when you focus on the most marginalized, you save everybody else. So, yes, this has been Trans 101. my god i want to thank all of our new patrons this week thank you thank you thank you yay, 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 yay. so not only are you helping to sustain this particular podcast you know i also donate to other podcasts i donate to other organizations i have my finger on the post of the community and i know a lot of grassroots organizations that are doing great work out here so you're not only helping to sustain us you're helping to sustain other people in a community because i put my money where my mouth is you know that's just the kind of bitch i am community is fuck <laughs> so thank you i really really appreciate you and if you have not become a patron why have you not? You can donate as low as a dollar a month. It doesn't matter. Anything helps. Please. Do I have to play Sarah McLaughlin and show you puppies? Like, what do I have to do? Do I have to do resort to what the white people do to get you to give them money? <laughs> All righty. Anyway, thank y'all. And the Patreon and PayPal link is at the bottom. Back to the show. So usually we start here, but we have went another place which is okay too um tell me about growing up so i know you grew up in kenosha mm -hmm. wisconsin um which is I, a little bit north of racine is that where well, actually i grew up in racine i was born in kenosha oh okay okay so mm -hmm. tell me about growing up in racine tell me about who was loving on you who was who was your people who was your tribe uh, growing up in Racine was a little difficult and I think it, it was really difficult because people have so much under, people underestimated Racine a lot. Um, oh, it's a small town. It's Wisconsin. What, is there black people in Wisconsin? Cause baby, I'm trying to imagine what is Wisconsin like for a black person and I cannot imagine. I don't know. <laughs> right. Right. So, I mean, I think that immediately people think about Packers, cheese heads and like, you know, that kind of, that the Milwaukee bucks and beer and whatever, but like, you know, and it is a lot of whiteness in Wisconsin, but as we know, there's a hood in every corner of America. <laughs> and that's where you found me in Racine, Wisconsin. We called it Three Mile. Three Mile was the hood. And so 
I grew, and the thing about that being the hood and being such an unexpected force is what people didn't understand was that Chicago, big city, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So you got Chicago, Illinois, and you got Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And Racine is in between the two. And so your gangs and your drug traffic that was in the major cities used Racine as like this middle hiding ground. And so the gang territory was tough in Racine. It was a lot of gang activity, a lot of drugs, prostitution. Like I grew up in the thick of it. And so many times in the neighborhood I grew up in, we were we just got accustomed to drive-by shootings. We, you know, we, we were told like not to to be in the house at certain times. You know, it was it was very much that. Um, and then it was also a situation where, uh, you know, I talk about the fact that my mom was basically kicked out of her home in um, Charleston, West Virginia, when she was pregnant with me. And so she ended up going to Wisconsin, pregnant with me, and she ends up meeting and dating this guy, uh, and he ends up be becoming my stepfather um, and the only father I pretty much knew for that whole time. So since I was born, he was the dad that I knew. Uh, but so because of that, people saw me and my brother and things like that as this privileged family with two parents in the house uh, and they both worked and what have you. So there was, and it's so interesting in the hood too, because like your privileges was having two parents in the home, mm -hmm. was having a vehicle, let alone two, mm. um, was, was, you know, there was just different levels of privilege that now we, and many times like right now, a lot of us see as like regular stuff, you know, but right. those are, those were privileges. And um, so we got, I got kind of teased a lot, you know, about, because we, my parents pushed education. We couldn't bring home C's. Um, you know, we got whoopings if we brought home C's and stuff like that. So, you know, my mom, when we were, when she taught us our multiplication tables and the alphabet, she did so at the chalkboard with a belt. Like that's, baby, <laughs> so I knew my multiplication tables backwards and forwards in kindergarten. I was I was reading them holes under the table. I, 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 I'm telling you my vocabulary, everything. So we were very, very smart uh, going into school. And then so I then ended up in like the gifted and talented programs uh, that were sort of like an accelerated programs. And as I went into those programs, I was starting to realize I was in, I was less and less, there was less and less black people in my classes. And I was mm -hmm. like, so I'm the only black person in my classes which then created a certain dynamic when I went back home to the hood, you know what I mean? Where all the black people were at. So let alone that I started to, to, to display feminine tendency. Mm. So, you know, it was a, a, a interesting navigating that territory. Um, you know, like hitting on, like trying to have a girlfriend because that was a thing to do. But uh, my girlfriend, she was fucking. 
uh, we're Kiki now because her name is, I'm going to shout her out, um, um, Jessica Lawson. Jessica Lawson was everything that I wanted to be, baby. She was yeah. artsy. <laughs> she had this fresh ass um, relaxer that she always <laughs> cut and had body in it. So, so a lot of times at the time, oh, a lot yeah. of girls didn't have no body in their hair. Oh, yeah. And her had body. And she was just such an artsy, beautiful, dark skin. She just was just so dope to me. And honey, she wanted to do it to me. And I was like, baby, I am not into you like that. But I like you. But I, it, it, I, mean, I, was, I had girl, I tried to have what? girlfriends all throughout. Like, you know, it was like elementary, middle school. You know, you have because again, what they don't understand is like they're trying to groom us as kids. Oh, how many girlfriends you got? You I bet you got all the girls and this and this and that or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it was just like so when I wasn't having the girls because the girls. I mean, bless their hearts. They had good radar. You know what I'm saying? Like I, they knew I wasn't the one to pick. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, they, they knew. So, but I was friends. That I became friends with a lot of the girls growing up. You know, and so a lot of the guys like didn't really do too much because they knew that if they mess with me, their their girlfriends would be upset. Sort of right. situation. So, you know, I found my way. I found, eventually found my way, but I wasn't like, I wasn't just like these days where these kids are like out in school. I wasn't like completely out. Uh, and although people recognize me as feminine, but I just remember being like junior year, almost senior year, coming out to one of my closest friends that I like went to church with. We wrote songs together. We play, I played piano, she would sing and we would write songs together. And I remember coming out to her and she just like disowned me as a friend and stopped talking to me and everything. And I, and I, I, it's almost where I kind of almost thought, you know, where you almost think that somebody might know. And if you just tell them. It's like, how, you, how could you not know? How and could then? you not know? And we're close <laughs> friends and all these different things or whatever. So, you know, I lost a lot early on. Um, and it's one of those things where as a kid, I think you just kind of wake up to the realities of life. Um, mm. and I was just actually talking to someone about this the other day where I was like, you know what, honestly, I don't think it's fair that quit, that any kid honestly has to have their rose colored glasses ripped off their faces mm. and to have them all of a sudden see the world for its brutal reality. It's not fair that some kids have to experience that. It's for me, I think that all kids should be told the truth and we need to start teaching the truth in ways that are digestible for children so that not no one kid has their glasses ripped off because they've experienced a certain type of rejection or abuse or what have you but that all the kids on you know all the kids grow up and understand that abuse exists and that this is what we need to look out for. And, you know, so, so because as a kid, I think that I, 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 sometimes people credit me for being an old soul or being knowing more growing up or this, that, and the third when, you know, again, as queer children, as anybody that's disabled or has any kind of difference, they automatically start to wake up to the, because they have to see the reality of the way that things are different for them and different for exactly. Somebody. I think that we all should ha be growing up in that truth. We all should grow up in the truth of what the world is. 
I don't know. I, I totally agree with that, but there is a level of, I know just my own anecdotal situation. There is a level of something happened when I became an adult, when I was young and queer, because I was a kid, there was an automatic built into the system protection of me because I was a kid. And once that veneer of childhood innocence was off, like totally off, that's when the hardships of life really revealed themselves. And I did have a rose colored, a rose colored lens and thinking that people would care a little bit more than they actually did once I became an adult. Once I became an adult, and I don't know how, how can people reveal that to you as a child, but once I became an adult, I, I realized that people really didn't give a fuck like they did when I was a kid and how it actually protected me. Because I knew that, you know, of course I'm going to be bullied and this shit that happened, but um, once I became an adult, it was like, motherfuckers, really? There was nobody that cared. Because at least in high school, you had one or two teachers that you can go and vent to that but you that's, can talk. You know, well, but what you're even speaking to is your experience. And mm -hmm. even as a trans person, like uh, somebody that, as you're even telling me that I'm like very happy for you mm -hmm. that, that you, that, that was your experience. Mm -hmm. But you know what I mean? Be but, but for so many people that when well, you talked about having that, that, that moment ripped away and like becoming an adult and that like mm -hmm. how you having that period of time, like there's just so many kids who don't get that period of time that whether they are foster kids, whether mm -hmm. they are, you know, all these things that from the beginning, they have to, they have to see things. And that doesn't mean that you don't get a childhood. And I think that that's what, like as parents, we're all wanting to protect our kids from seeing this, from experiencing that, from knowing this truth, from feeling that truth. And what I'm saying is a child can still be a child. A style, child can still have a childhood, can still play with things. But I think that in order for us to protect that one child from experiencing abuse, we have to open up this, this, the conversation so that we all, everyone has their eyes on it. So mm. that it doesn't just happen to one person over here because don't know everybody know you know it's not something everybody knows that happens especially at that age oh my god i can't believe susie was going through this or blah 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 and it's like finding these ways even as kids for kids to be able to support one another do you understand what i'm saying whether that is like the stranger danger um you know uh again uh, queer stuff uh, I mean, again, because with all these things, it, all of a sudden people become villains or this this kind of caricatures of of things that we don't know about because they're not being educated about it. Again, sex, even sex ed and all that. Sex education should be happening like from uh, kindergarten. But again, in ways that are appropriate for those minds and those levels, we're not talking. Sex ed doesn't always mean intercourse. It means, you know, all the things that people think it means. It's just even down to talking about body parts, even down exactly. to talking about, you get what I'm saying? Not, no, we're not showing you how to have sex, but we're sure talking about what, uh, what, what your body parts do. What's the purpose of this? Absolutely. I mean, it just, and again, I'm not no child psychologist and specialist in this and that and the third, but what I do know is that a lot of us are 
still traumatized by our childhoods and the things that happened or did not happen mm. in, in our childhoods. And I think as queer and trans people specifically, you know, uh, I mean, I, I'm very, very grateful for being who I am because it got, it allowed me to call bullshit on a lot of things very, very early. Uh, but what I'm saying is, is I think that there's some element of that that can belong to all kids in autonomy uh, and understanding a, uh, a personal awareness, I think, that, that we could all have. So tell me your journey in becoming an actress. So obviously I started out uh, in musical theater and I did mm -hmm. musical theater for about 11 years. And um, it, I started like in a, a grade school. Okay. And it, it was not just the school plays, but there was like this city troupe that would hire, I got paid for acting. Um, and, uh, I remember they would have these auditions and there was just like sort of these tiers of acting. So I got into this community acting troupe and I was with them for about 11 years. So I think. What was their name? Uh, Racine Youth Players. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was in Racine, Wisconsin. So at Ours first was it was. called Ashante's Children Theater. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so yes. like, so I started in Racine Kid Players because it was for kids a certain age. And then once I got to a certain age, I had to gra uh, graduate to Racine mm -hmm. Youth Players that got me up until I was the age 19. Now, so when I even say that, I say that I have been doing musical theater, both in community and in school theater uh, and choirs and all of that for 11 years before I even like 10 years, 11 years before I even graduated high school. So if we think about like books like Outliers uh, by Malcolm Gladwell, that talks about breaks down genius as, you know, nobody's really born a genius. It's just someone having access to being able to spend an obscene amount of time on that thing. Uh, Beethoven locking himself away into a room and focusing on uh, composing. Uh, uh, Bill Gates uh, getting access to coding and all the computers well before it was on the market for years. Uh, for me, again, before I even entered this space and people knowing Angel who Angel before I even knew who Angelica Ross was, I had 10 years of acting under my belt. So I, I had this uh, way of knowing my body on stage, knowing, you know, comedic timing, uh, improvisation, all those sort of things. So when I got... You grew up in a culture church. Yes, you did. Yes. And yes, and that's also we do plays in there too. I do too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And most of those plays tell you if you go to Los Angeles and Hollywood, you're gonna uh, get caught on drugs, get HIV, and go, <laughs> and go to hell. You know, so that's usually the the plot of the play. But um, but yeah. So I, I've been through all of that, and then I had done years and years of modeling and acting. Uh, under the radar, people did not know I was trans. So I had an agent in South Florida and uh, they didn't know I was trans. And then I did come out to one of the agents that was gay at the time. Uh, his name was Kevin, I forget his last name. Um, and this white gay guy. And so we started strategizing uh, about which jobs I should uh, go for, which ones you know I shouldn't. I was in Little John and the East Side Boys uh, music video, Get Low. They had a, a remix video with Busta Rhymes. Um, I, after that, I knew that I never wanted to do rap music videos again. Uh, that <laughs> environment was just not for me. It was very scary, um, because people didn't know I was trans and there was a very misogynistic environment, you know, and so not just with the rappers, but the guys who are also extras trying to be extra. 
you know. So <laughs> that part. I decided, yeah, that part. So I decided, okay, that was enough for me. And then I started doing, I did a movie, uh, uh, no, it wasn't an independent film. This was a feature film that was a blockbuster hit actually in Italy. It was called Natale a Miami Christmas yeah. in Miami. And uh, I, I had a, what they called a, a principal role, but it was like, so these guys um, meet these girls at a club and end up finding that they're trans, you know, it was this whole thing. And even then during that time, you know, we got to pick and we, it's slim pickings when it comes to roles for trans people, you know? So I didn't really have that much power on the set to really talk about the problematicness of this role and this whole scene. But so there was a part where they wanted me to, my character was drunk and they wanted me to pee in the water. Uh, and so like lift up my skirt and just like pee in the water or whatever. And it was- Who would do that? So that was the thing. So I literally had to tell them, I was like, listen, okay, this is my whole thing. I'm a trans woman. And they did, they, they did me a solid and they didn't tell uh, anyone else on the set that I was trans. So, cause what happened was most, it was a group of trans women that the, that the, the thing was about. And so the group of trans women out of the group, I was the only one that was trans. It was just other cis women that were tall, that had plastic surgery, that looked, that was given the trans aesthetic. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but I was the only one that was actually trans. So I was the only one that actually had speaking lines. And I said, listen, I can't, the only way that I can do this is it's got to make sense. There's no trans woman that would sit here and pull her dress up and just pee, pull her dick out and just pee in the water. I said, now the only way that I could see this happening is if I was like, I just was really drunk and I just really had to, to, to go or whatever. So I basically told them, look, I'm going to play this and I'm going to play them. But even then you're going to send that sis, bend down and scoot down and put <laughs> it back. So it can look like you're not fucking doing it, bitch. You is not going to be fucking right. just whipping it out. <laughs> Get out of here. Right. But, but, you know, so what I end up doing, and it's such a funny scene. I think you can still find it on YouTube or whatever. But like, it's funny because I, again, this is where I cannot wait to return to comedic acting because I have. Oh, that would be dope. Maybe my timing just be on. So, I mean, obviously I got to do it with Candy and do like some comedic time with mm -hmm. her. But, you know, so as I go to the thing and I start hiking up, I dress, I'm like stumbling around. I throw the bottle in the water and I have this big afro. And so I hike my dress up and then I'm like, I, I start peeing and I just clock, my, I clock my head all the way back. But. I did so in a way where just this ball, it just, the physicality of it was so funny uh, that it works. And, uh, but again, I had told him I have to play it drunk. That's the only, I'm not going to be sober doing this because no, no trans, there has to be some reason that I would do that. <laughs> so like, again, you, so you, I've been an extra on CSI Miami. I remember being in South Florida running on a bridge while they're calling it action and something's going on in cars. Or, I, and don't nobody care who I am. Ain't nobody asking me, do I want some water? You know, nothing. <laughs> I, you just an extra girl. And I did, I was an extra on a show called South Beach um, that was executive produced by Jennifer Lopez. And um, I want to say uh, Jet Jackson, I think his name was. Uh, um, I think he had, uh, you know, a trick or I, I believe he had ended his life. But um, before that, you know, I was on that show and just getting to see things behind the scenes. And so when I'm on set, 
as an extra. I was like a sponge looking around, seeing, watching models in the, in, in the, the main actors get to come on stage and how they were brought on stage. And then they had their first, their second team and their stand-ins. And I just kind of got to know all of the things. When I find, when I got to her story, that's when I, um, things started to really sink in for me because, and that wasn't until 2015. And that was a web series, Mm -hmm. but it was something that it was the first role that I got to play where I didn't have to worry if someone was going to find out if I was trans or not. I was playing a trans role. And then I realized that I could stop holding parts of myself back. And so there was a line in this, in the scene where, uh, in her story, where she says, the, the friend says, well, sounds like you had a great date. So what's the problem? And, and Paige says, I, I just, I didn't get a chance to tell him I was trans and I, I just wanted to be a girl on a date, you know? Um, and being a trans woman and understanding what that feels like mm-hmm. of being on a date. And I, I don't want to have to deal with that conversation tonight. I just want to have fun. I just want to, let's just, can we karaoke both the- Comfort of a man. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know what I'm saying? So like that's that's when that's when I think started to settle in for me that I was like, okay, this is about to be a real thing for me as an actor. And then even again, then eventually getting up to pose and, and, and learning where I have more agency because I've earned it. What I saw was there were people in the ballroom community who so in the beginning some of them were being a little shady uh to be real because (laughs) because, uh and again i get it here's this ballroom show coming along here's these actors that they brought in to come play ballroom but bitch i am ballroom how you gonna sit up here and play something i am ballroom bitch but the real that i had to explain to a few folks that this is not the real housewives of ballroom this is a acting show (laughs) and, and and let me show you so as time went on and we would have these ballroom scenes where we'd have a lot of extras in the room, some people were being extra and were doing too much because they thought it was their moment to, to have, you know, and what have you. Over time, we learned together. And I started to actually teach and mentor some of the act people on, on set and showing them how to actually get a moment, how to wait for their moment and to ad lib in just the right moments without overstepping Billy's lines or my lines or someone's lines. So there became to be a trust between us and uh, me um, letting them understand that by you showing up here, don't be in your feelings. Some people were in their feelings and left because they were like, they're not even talking to me this way and blah, 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 this or whatever. And it's like, sweetie, I was there back when I was doing CSI Miami. They wasn't even offering me water. It ain't because you're trans. It ain't because your ballroom is because you're extra on the scene. But those who stayed around episode after episode and learned got their sad cards because you have to, you have to work oh so many hours in order to become SAG eligible. And it's hard to do that, especially as a trans person, when it's only, only so many dead prostitutes you're going to play. <laughs> it's, it's only so many of those roles they giving out. So a show like Pose really changed the game for our community, for those who are willing to show up, get in line 
and do their work. And I know sometimes it feels a certain way when you're legendary, when you're already like, <laughs> you're legendary over here, baby. Over, right. over here. <laughs> and trust and believe the ballroom community will let everybody else know too. Kiki Palmer, Meg Thee Stallion, anybody else that want to come up into the realm, they'll let them know too, sweetie. That's cute uh, in your arena, but this is ballroom, so keep it, <laughs> keep it cute. They they let them know that it, it works both ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, how do you deal with celebrity? I suppose to me is, you know, I'm, I hope I'm not being disrespectful. It seems like your breakout role. No, absolutely, yeah. So, how there comes a there comes a time when you see a shift in how you have to move and oh, yeah. so how how is that transition um cuz it has to be isolating it has to be um part it's of it a is little good isolating yeah part of it is good part of it is isolating um part of it is very confusing and very frustrating uh, because sometimes a celebrity separates you from community and like, and so you have to be very intentional about staying in community, um, and, and also curating the spaces to be in community because as a famous person, I can't just be in community every day because that means like, of course I know everybody I'm in community with everybody. So that means I can't, you know, that means Am I available all the time to be on the, you know, the DMs and calls and text messages and all this? No, I'm not, you know, it's, and so, uh, there's many times too where people have stopped seeing me as a person and they just see me as an opportunity. Uh, there are many times people have saw me as a check or as a, and I don't even, and let me, let me, let me tell you, like, I'm famous. I've had, I'm successful, uh, but I, I think especially in our community, sometimes we don't, we have varying ideas of what success is and what successful is. Um, I'm successful. I'm able to pay my bills. I'm able to take a trip here and there. I'm able to do some things. I have also found ways with the little bit that I have to create a nonprofit to provide resources and a lot of other things for other people. Um, that's it. I ain't got it. I'm not Scarlett Johansson. I'm not, um, I don't have blockbuster movies with bank account. You know, I'm not sitting on millions. So when I do help someone and I do help people, that's probably the one person I can help for that amount of time, you know, for that time, that person that, that was who I helped that year. You know, because that's who I could commit to helping. So there's this like false sort of idea that I have it and that I'm rich and that I can just do this and I can do anything for anybody, buy them a computer, change their life, do whatever. And it's like, sure, I can do some of those things, but all of it has a, all of it's a cost to me. So, you know, there has to be for me at this point, there's like uh, when I am helping people, there has to be a return on my investment. And that doesn't mean that I personally am enriched by the things, but that means that you then take what I've given you and have grown and blossomed and done something with that so that the next person, somebody can learn from you or benefit from you or, or things like that. But what I feel like when it comes to my celebrity, what 
I want people to hopefully uh, understand more is that I am a reflection. I'm a reflection to you, to all to what to your possibilities, what you want, whatever it is that you see in me is a reflection. Everything you see in me, the beauty, the talent, the this and that, whatever, all a reflection. And it's all a prompt for you to either see that in yourself or go find it in yourself. And so instead of looking outside of yourself, thinking some celebrity or some person is going to, oh my God, I meet. So, and sometimes I get this nervous energy around me as Angelica is this, is that. I try to continue to remind people that I am just a reflection, sweetie. I am, and in those moments in where I, you get to have, I'm in your presence and we're in each other's presence, I want you to see the reflection and bask in the reflection. When I talk about celebrity, I learned from my Buddhist practice to look at celebrity as what am I being celebrated for? When people see Angelica Ross and she's known far and wide for what? Twerking and starting fights. You know what I'm saying? Like, and nothing wrong with twerking. Starting fights, yes. But, uh, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? But, like, I am I celebrated for drama? Mm. Or am I celebrated? Because I inspire somebody to start from scratch. Mm. I inspire someone who was once a sex worker. I inspire someone who said, fuck this shit. I don't want to take this no more or whatever. That, that So I know what I'm celebrated for in my celebrity. To be aware of that is to move differently with my celebrity. I don't take it as this uh, thing for granted. And I also don't wield it around as some like... Thing that I can beat people around with with my per privilege and celebrity and tell people and make people do what I want them to do. The first time I was introduced to Buddhist Buddhism. Mm -hmm. Num yo ho rengekyo, num yo ho rengekyo, num yo ho it was wow. um, Angela Bassett and what's mm -hmm. up got to do with that. And I think a little element of go to child. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> there was yeah. an element of go to child. I, 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 I want the knife. <laughs> Eddie Murphy was crazy. So, um, so this is the first time I was introduced to Buddhism. Um, and so it wasn't until I got a little bit older that I, got, I started to meet people and that how were you introduced to that spiritual practice how did that you know how did how did that happen it's so interesting um it's so interesting because i like many people like yourself as well i probably was introduced my first sort of recollection of it was through tina turner and what's love got to do with it her chanting nam yoho ringe kyo uh but so profound i when i tell you I'm trying to tell you, and this is, I mean, I really don't do what I should do as a member of the organization and being like this, uh, this sort of warrior for souls, you know, and like kind of telling people about spreading the news, you know, sort of about the practice. And the only reason why I don't do that as much as I could slash should 
is because of my own slight trauma that I also know will also be reflected in many people that I talk to who have been traumatized by this winning of souls kind of mindset. This, this thing of like, let me save you. And this is the right way and all these kind of things or whatever. But when I, I can tell you like finding Buddhism and specifically nature and Buddhism, cause there's so many different types of uh, Buddhism and like, so say for instance, there's Zen Buddhism and things like that, where you're sitting with meditation It's called uh, first beginner's mind and things like that. Those kind of, and it's all great. Uh, but some different types of Buddhism, I believe are going to be a little harder for people to grasp, uh, because even sitting, it's just a little harder to grasp, uh, for various reasons. I'm not, I can break down another time, but, um, with chanting Nam-myoho Renge-kyo, this particular practice, Buddhist practice is all about striving for enlightenment through everyday life and everyday struggles. And so when I moved to Los Angeles, I had quit working as a, a drag queen at the Kit Kat Lounge in Chicago. I was one of the queens there for four years. And so I, I my last day there, I broke out my acoustic guitar and I started performing original songs. Um, and I knew that's not what they wanted to hear or whatever, but it was just like, I was making a, I just was done. And I was making a statement like, I need to start using my voice. And so I then moved to Los Angeles and struggled to find a job. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't even get a job. Fuck it. I couldn't even get a job getting arrested. Like I just, it was like, <laughs> I, it, I did, it was so hard. Every job, I mean, retail, retail was competitive. And so in LA, yeah. In LA, yes. And so, uh, and I was used to getting any job that I interviewed for. So uh, I remember we're, uh, trying to apply for Apple, I, trying to get a job there and, and, and staying at a motel in Hollywood. Uh, they, I think they shot a couple scenes of Pretty Woman at this hotel. Um, and it would always smell like chicken curry in the, in the hallways. It was, it was just like, it was a very cheap one day, you know, mo a motel thing. And I was waiting to find a job, searching Craigslist. And finally, I kind of got the job. I got the job and I was about to start. And then I found this roommate ad in, on Craigslist. And uh, I asked the roommate, I said, listen, I just got this job. I'm about to get this payment at this time. Can I, can you uh, wait on the deposit and just take this for me right now? You know, they were like, okay. So I move in to this house with three roommates. And one day I hear the uh, owner of the house chanting. Um, and uh, they he's chanting with a friend over there. They invite me to chant with them, and I'm like, oh no, 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 I'm good. Uh, I'm like, <laughs> I want to do that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> All right, no, I, I'm good. Y'all go ahead, I'm good. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, they kept inviting me. Um, and I, I always saw myself as being open to Buddhism, but also I was in a place of extreme suffering. Like I was hurting um, emotionally, mentally. Uh, I was struggling. I had gotten out of a left a long-term relationship that I was engaged to. I was financial. It was just so much. I was just being a trans person. I was just struggling. And 
it's interesting in these moments when you're really struggling, you start pushing. There's many, many times when you're pushing away sometimes the very things that you need. Um, and you think, I got this. I'm going to figure this out and whatever. And it just, I wasn't getting out of it myself. And so I decided to go with them one day and chant with them. And so they took me to this, they call it the Friendship Center in Los Angeles. And you go into the park, I park into the parking garage, the, the parking lot outside, outside, get out the car. And I can hear them all chanting in the building from the parking lot. And I felt, it felt, this was the first time that I was being introduced to it in that way. I felt like I was walking in on that scene in Avatar where they're all holding hands in, around the tree of Awa and they're all around. Yes. And yes, oh, like yes. this. <laughs> Baby. I felt like I walked in on that moment because they were all chanting and I, I, I truly felt something. I felt connected. And so then I started chanting before I even knew what the words meant, before I knew what anything meant. I tapped in. And it has it has had a hold on me ever since, and it's really been this thing that gets so profound. The more and more you learn and study, I'm in like I've been studying now thirteen years, and I grew up Christian, and so there's so many things that I learned as a Christian about God being in everybody and everything. Or about that whole notion of stirring up the gift, you know. Um, when we chant, I'm stirring up the God essence in me, whether you call it God, the whatever, the universe, whatever. I'm stirring up the access I have, the the divinity I have in myself. I'm polishing this mirror in for, that I'm sitting in front of so that I can see myself, the God in me and everything clearly. So I'm not blaming other people for my circumstances, nor am I projecting my freedom and liberation onto some other hero and some other person. But it really does get you to, again, this is why Angela Bassett portrayal of Tina Turner was so profound for so many people. Metaphorically, it is illustrating what it looks like to say, I don't need nothing but my name. And to stop being distracted by everything and everybody, by favor, by both, by this, that, and the third. She was so distracted, she couldn't even put her lipstick on straight. She couldn't even see straight. When that bitch got focused, and excuse me, calling Tina Turner a bitch, my sis. When sis got focused, you saw her numb your ring late. It just got laser and laser, and it started to become and a, all this stuff around her. All, and the, all the, it became irrelevant. All of a sudden, it, it was the same insults coming from Ike. All of a sudden, she was batting it away like, "Oh, I like, like it wasn't nothing," and handle it not until one day she said, "You know what?" Bam, and she and she fought back. And this is this is a metaphor for what it looks like to fight back for your life as a trans person, as a disabled person, as an immigrant, as a whatever, do not allow this world to victimize you. To say that because you are this, you gonna be abused, you gonna experience this, you gonna experience that. Yes, you might experience some of these things, but you don't have to be victim to those things. 
You don't have to stay oppressed by those things. And not only that, but with a practice like this, this allows you to create a story like my, like Tina Turner's, like mine, that has a really humble, interesting beginning. That bitch, <laughs> that bitch was on the street sucking dick. I heard that bitch was on a website. I heard that bitch was, yes. Right. She's also was at the uh, Emmys. She's Emmy mm -hmm. nominated. You know what I'm saying? But it's like, we have to understand that none of us are safe. None of us are entitled to safety, to no drama. You know, it's like our egos have us saying, why me? Why do I got to go through this? And why this and why that? Why not you, bitch? You a trans woman too. What makes you think you're not going to get called one? What makes you think that you're not going to have to fight for your life? Mm -hmm. You understand what I'm saying? So as queer and trans people, I feel that we have been robbed of spiritual practice. Practice. Not just faith and believing, because I think that some of us have been handed down some bad faith. Women in our family who have held faith in bad systems mm -hmm. and bad practices. We know better. We know as trans people when something didn't feel right, but we stand, but we're a lot of us are still disconnected though from a divine source, from a spiritual practice. So this is where I'm gonna be on this part of the podcast where I'm gonna have the altar call. <laughs> Come on, altar call. <laughs> I'm speaking to your heart right now. <laughs> and I don't care what practice it is. Hinduism, Buddhism, Judaism, uh, 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 Yoruba, um, uh, Christianity. Uh, there's, I don't care what it is. You need trans people, queer people. It's imperative to your survival that you find a spiritual practice. I don't care what it is, but basically what it's saying is, okay, let's say you don't believe in the word spirit, soul, that's too Christian for you, that's too whatever. But I know you understand energy. I know you understand when you got a lot of energy and when you got a little bit. I know when you understand when your energy is feeling good and when your energy is feeling kind of negative and, and not so good. So what I'm asking you to do is develop a practice of ask, being able to ask yourself, hmm, how is my energy today? Spirit, soul, whatever. How is my energy today? And then be able to have a practice at being able to do something about the answer that comes up. Mm -hmm. My energy is not that great today. Okay. So what spiritual practice do you have right now to address that? Is it through song? Is it through being with nature? There's so many ways of being spiritual without thinking oppressive. Right. So I would, I want to, I want to encourage our folks to return to a spiritual practice and find a spiritual practice. Mm. I, I say Buddhism. If you want to learn about it, there's plenty of information out there, and I'll point you to the right direction. But I, but it ain't the only way, and you can find other ways. 
Mm, I love that. I love that because I, I, even for myself, I feel like when, once I honed in on a spiritual practice, it is, it's mm. even on the basic level, on the basic level of solace, mm. just the, the basic level of, you know, I have something to fall back on when I'm having a fucked up ass day or a fucked up ass situation. I can unplug and say, mm, I need to be recharged and revamped. Mm -hmm. I have something that I can actually do that with. And so I think, yes, I think absolutely whatever that is for you, it could whatever be, for you. Yeah. you know, it could be anything, whatever your practice or spiritual practice to get yourself in that that energy to um, recharge and not be burnt out. I think, yeah. yeah. And a spiritual perfect. practice is not uh, uh, academic. Yes. Um, yes, there are parts of study, you know, even in Buddhism, we call it, we have our four pillars, uh, practice, study, and listen, this is where I'm bad. Faith, practice, and study are three pillars. Um, and so all of them are important. But what happens is a lot of people, especially in Christianity, uh, start to be living in their faith from a strictly academic space and then they're just throwing around verses and bible things and stuff that just has no real meaning for them and for the actual context of what you're speaking to so in, in the context of now in the context of now exactly and so in order to make it a living word you have to have all the things it has to be a living faith a living practice practicing every day and not just something that you read about in a book facts so tell us what's next for you. What is, um, what's coming up next for you in your life? What is something you want to explore? What is, you know, you have anything coming up? I just, I'm known to be that bitch that flips tables. <laughs> and so I'm flipping another table uh, in Hollywood where uh, I just refuse to play by the same rules and games that other people do or will play or whatever. Like, cause the reality is, is this, honestly, my career could be in a, such a different place if I would learn to be more palatable when it comes to the social issues I talk about. I didn't talk about white supremacy so much with such a uh, visceral sort of indictment of people who feel that burn because they should, because they're uh, upholding the system in certain Fair. ways. You know, uh, and so what I found is like this Hollywood is really not meant for that. So it's like you you really you really have to make some choices. Um, and and they're all your choices are these are valid choices. I could be in Hollywood and just be an actress. And what I love is that so many of my trans siblings have told me, Angelica will be okay if you decided to just be an actress. And because we know that that's what you love to do and that's what you should be able to just be an actress. Um, and I really do love that from my community that they see me, see that for me. Um, because what I do know is just like your Queen Latifahs or different folks or whatever, uh, she's able to take up a lot of spaces in a lot of rooms and do a lot of things as long as she doesn't talk so openly about her queerness and her relationships and things like that. You know, we've, we've seen this over years happen with her and various folks. Facts. Uh, um, so I could do that. The only issue is that I grew up in church and somebody told me something like early on about myself, about my voice, about my purpose. And I believed it. And I believed it from a very young age 
to the point where I've seen me move mountains. I've seen me shift culture and make shifts. I've seen me do certain things and I can't ignore my power in that side of things. So at this point in my career, I'm actually shifting gears a little bit to put more focus into unscripted territory versus scripted. I'm still available as an actor is in scripted work. I'm working on a movie right now that I'm executive producing with a very well-known person um, uh, who's just incredible. And we have an incredible director on board right now. And we are currently uh, interviewing writers right now to uh, finish the story, but it's going to be a very big movie moment for me, a feature film. Um, and those, as we know, films take time. So I don't need the perception of me being on and popping. I actually love the ability to kind of like step away and really work and fine tune on these projects. So I'm working on this film. I'm also, I've written a series loosely based off my life that um, I've written as a series, but I'm actually uh, in the process of looking to transition that to a stage play. Um, and, and, and so we're, we're looking at that. Um, and then I'm also producing television, uh, unscripted television with uh, Buteman Murray um, as one of my uh, production partners. And so we have uh, two, a few shows that we're developing right now that are unscripted. I have a uh, children's show that I am um, executive producing uh, with BET Studios. Um, and so there, there are definitely some major things that I have in the works. And then I'm working on a lot of music. I have this song called Purr that I am so excited about. So right now, Purr, if you're listening to this, you should be able to download Purr right now. Uh, there is an explicit version and a clean version. So I suggest that mm -hmm. you are a, 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 a mother, holy ghost, uh, you know, God-fearing God, God woman. Uh, you might want to listen to the clean version first. Um, but I'm really, really excited about that. And I have so much more music coming out. My single, Higher Ground with Terrell Carter is coming out as well. Um, I have music coming out with Monday. And then I am... I've got, uh, I'm hosting Stonewall Day uh, for Pride uh, and actually performing in a lineup with Christina Aguilera, uh, the, Bet the Betty, Mila Jam, you know, and again, these are all these full circle moments where I'm almost like pinching myself like, what is happening here? Uh, I'm going to be at the, in May, uh, in a couple weeks, I'm going to be at the Strength of a Woman um, Summit, Mary J. Blige's Strength of a Woman Summit, um, speaking on a panel there, and I'll be at the Purpose Ball. So I guess Mary J. Blige, uh, Brandy uh, from uh, from P Valley is going to be there on the, uh, you know, so it's going to be a, a really good time there. And just there's a few other things that I can't talk about that I'm working on, but just know that like I'm kind of shifting direction where I'm not allowing myself to be on demand anymore. So there's so many things that happen within our community. Um, we're all traumatized, you know, just scrolling up and down our Instagrams and finding out that another trans person has been violated. Um, and I just ask for support from my community as well, just saying like I'm a person too, and that I've, am hit with all the waves of emotions and I can't 
respond on demand all the time. I, I just can't. And it, and and now and not only that, if you want a really thought out, profound res- approach, I need a moment. So right now, I'm really pulling back and giving myself the space to be the voice that I know that I'm supposed to be. And so right now, I'm I'm really working on that, developing that. We uh, are launching uh, a new podcast. Um, I have been, like, people have been asking me ever since I did the Like a Butterfly podcast, like, when are you returning? When are you going to do this? And I did, like, um, you know, the turning point for a while on, on, and I had some producing partners with that. But I didn't want to return until we had the right format, I had the right support so that I could do it for the long term. And so now uh, as we return to this podcasting space, this is pretty much going to be where I live because I'm now putting more stock in my voice unscripted and being able to talk and have challenging conversations with people versus uh, having favor in Hollywood. I love that. I think you, um, Laverne and Alok, when I hear y'all speak, it is it is usually I'm like, this is representation that I'm proud of. You know, you know, I'm. Thank you. You know, and I have to say thank you for including me with those names, because I have to say, like, sometimes I look at Laverne and I'd be like, bitch, it couldn't be me because like she. (laughs) Like Laverne has a way sometimes of being so that I'm so afraid of myself sometimes. Now, mind you, I do still have these uh, sound bites in these moments that do come across very clear and you know what have you. But I am a I am Candy lives within me somewhere deep down inside. I live. And so, girl, I be scared all the time that she gonna come up because. Girl, if my neck start to go, if something start happening, then all of a sudden I could feel her creeping up. And I'm just like, bitch, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. That's authentic. But, it, it, but you know, but that's why I love. And honestly, in an ideal world, it would be a, a trifecta like me, Alok, and Laverne. I don't like when it's like, I, I mean, it's cool when it's one of us, but like, imagine the different types of ways, those just those three people alone that you name, we talk different. Yes. We approach things different and we all have our different kind of maybe uh, what I would call, uh, not blind spots because it's ableist, but like spaces that we don't see. Yeah. So like, I learn from a loke all the time. Same. Laverne learns, learns from me. I learn from Laverne, like, you know. So in a, in a like a dream world, we would all be on the view. You know, what I'm saying? <laughs> it would all be like a view situation. But to your point earlier, uh, and I had this conversation with Laverne as well. Um, I did on her show. Um, I said, listen, I think that we're doing the community somewhat of a disservice because uh, so many of us are becoming shooting stars and being shot into our own universes uh, that uh, a world wraps around us, you know, and we're not collaborating with each other. And the business keeps us busy enough to not collaborate with each other. Um, But again, I've been that girl, whether it's me working with Rain Valdez and her web series, uh, Razor Tongue, and, and wanting to executive produce the second season, and then realizing, but still, I'm a black trans woman trying to find funding, trying to find this and find that. They're not quick to give me anything either, but 
if we work together, maybe we can scrape a little bit more together and, and do what we can do. Right. What we can do. And so I will say, I say that to say that I, I am making that call out to other trans folks with smoke to come together and let's create a fire. But until then, I will be doing that. And I really, really need trans people to support. I know, so, I just know so many trans people who just ignore me, that I'm even doing anything from the nonprofit to the entertainment side. Mm. I don't understand that. I mean, maybe it's personal things. Maybe it's whatever. Maybe I ain't good. I don't know what the fuck. But what I do know is when you're asking for the representation, when you're asking for the things and you've got someone who's bringing half of what I'm bringing, like, let's, let's support. Let's yeah. find ways because we got to support because I'm not coming from a trust fund. I, I, I'm coming from community. Gimme, gimme, gimme euphoria, more than peace of mind. It's the joy and space to change the tide. Gimme, gimme, gimme euphoria, more than peace of mind. It's the joy and space to change the tide. Gimme, gimme, gimme you a feeling and a high you never come down Last question, something we do at the end of every show. You know, what is bringing you euphoria? What is bringing me euphoria right now is music. I grew up in the church, in church choirs. I grew up in this space of hearing a, the organ player play a chord and the choir director saying, find your note. Like, listen for it. And, 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 I cannot say enough how I've been able to somehow carry the music across in a ship across a sea of suffering and 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 be in this space right now where I'm not bitter, I'm not broken, I still have a song in my heart, and it is the most interesting high to be on every day to realize that I am free to make music. I am free to make a song. I, I have the tools, I have the space, I have the opportunity. And I, 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 I sometimes feel like it's an addiction. Like I'm, I'm because I'm sometimes up at all hours of the night. You know what I'm saying? Mixing, mastering, headphones on, doing this, recording little vocals, whatever. But I'm happy. That's, I'm happy. And, and, and when I, what I realized was, oh, wait a minute. Like they think they, they think they celebrate you now. They think you, they think you got it now. This whole talk that I've been talking, this whole talk that I've been talking to my community about, you can do anything with the intersection of technology. I'm about to put that to full test. Because that's <laughs> now every day, that's what I'm doing is I'm at my computer making beats. 
making songs and doing that and realizing actually, yes, like I'm when, when I'm old, 60, 70, 80, I must still be making beats. That's, that's my new high. That's my euphoria. Mm. My euphoria is this moment because I, you are somebody that I have seen grown and I appreciate your representation as a black trans woman. I appreciate your representation as a creative. Um, you know, you're just somebody that I've always saw in the peripheral, like, oh, she's really doing what you know, what I'm doing over here, just my thing. And, you know, we're just trying to make it work, just enjoying our talent. I remember, because that's, now that I think (laughs) about it, I remembered a video or song that you did. And I was like, wait a minute, Diamond. Like, (laughs) it came through with the vocals. It was a minute ago, though. this Mm. this, This was a minute ago. And it's just like, what I really want people to understand, especially with vocals, all that kind of stuff. I'm someone who, thankfully, with, in the just the right amount of time, just enough time, realized that my voice was a muscle, that I hadn't been working it out in the right, I hadn't been showed the right ways to do certain things and blah, blah, blah. And that we, so many of us have been creatives for so long and just have not had the avenues, the venues, the inspiration, the, the thought that this could actually happen. But this stuff is real and it can happen. And I'm telling you, mm-hmm. uh, Diamond, we're gonna have our moment. We're gonna we, come on. Let's have, let's, <laughs> we gonna have a song, right? Let's let's go ahead and do. We gonna figure this out. We are gonna have a moment. Let's have a session. Let go. So thank you, Angelica. I appreciate you. Um, you're always welcome back. And tell the people where they can find you. Not that they don't know, but yeah, still, yeah, listen. <laughs> Cause you might not be able, I, you might not be able to find me on Twitter these days because like <laughs> I don't it's know what's mess. going on with Elon and Twitter over there. But you can find me on Elon Musty. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> you can find me at, at Angelica Ross on Instagram and on Twitter. Uh, but mostly, if you just go to MissRoss.com, M-I-S-S-R-O-S-S.com, that's where I'm going to keep the people really informed. Mm. So make sure I'm going to have all that link down in the bottom. Um, yeah, this is a dream come true. Thank you for your time. And I appreciate you. you. I love you. Keep doing your thing. Yeah, make Thank sure you. you edit this down because, girl, we had a key key. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. How are you? Hey, brother. Hey, brother. Hey, sister. Hey, sister.